Good morning, this is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. Welcome back to another edition of Hope for Today. Now you may think I was reading from the New Testament about Jesus Christ. But actually this passage is from the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 53 verses 5 through 8 that was written 700 years before the birth of Christ, but certainly it was about Christ. Isaiah, inspired by God, was in fact speaking about Jesus Christ and how he would take our sins upon himself and suffer and die for those of us who believe. There are a few things that might be repeated once or twice in the Bible, like the Ten Commandments, but God considered his son's life, death, and resurrection to be so important that he had four different people to record that story. And those people are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those accounts are known as the four Gospels, the first four books in the New Testament. In his book, 90 Days of God's Goodness, Randy Alcorn shares that he was raised as an unbeliever with no knowledge of God. He states that he was drawn to Christ in part because of the New Testament accounts of the sacrificial death of Jesus that were anticipated 700 years earlier in Isaiah chapter 53 from which I just read, Alcorn did not believe anyone could make up such a story. And just what is that story? Why is Easter such an important day on our calendar? Why? Because Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If he was not raised, he is a liar. If he was raised, he is God our Savior. The tomb of Buddha is occupied. The tomb of Mohammed is occupied. The tomb of Confucius is occupied, but the tomb of Jesus is empty. If this claim was taken to court and eyewitnesses were called to confirm the bodily resurrection of Jesus, there are over 500 witnesses. I have 15 Bible verses or passages that tell who these eyewitnesses were. But right now, I want to recount to you some of the events of that very unusual and memorable weekend some 2,000 years ago that opened up an eternal home in heaven to those who believe. This story will be familiar to many of you, and it is a story that never grows old. But to those of you who might be listening and are curious about what is the big deal about Easter, please listen closely. It is our hope for today. The Jews were looking for a Messiah to come and save them from the Romans who ruled their country. They were looking for a Messiah king who would come and take over by force, and so the crowds cheered as Jesus entered Jerusalem on what we now refer to as Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday before Easter. On the day of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, it was the time of Passover, 
and it was the day the lambs to be slain at Passover were selected. In his triumphal entry, Jesus was presenting himself as the Passover lamb. Starting with the Passover, you can read the story of Jesus' last days on earth and his resurrection from the dead in the Bible, beginning in Matthew chapter 26, or Mark chapter 14, or Luke chapter 22, or John chapter 13. It is the same story, but from different witnesses. I'm going to now read you some from the one-year Christian history book by Michael and Sharon Rustin, starting with page 186. On April 2nd, A.D. 33, Jesus sent Peter and John to prepare the Passover meal for him to eat with his disciples. The new covenant was instituted in the upper room at a meal between God the Son, Jesus Christ, and the disciples, the elders of the church. Since the old covenant had contained the Ten Commandments, one would expect that the new covenant would contain a new commandment. Thus, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, Now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other, just as I have loved you. You should love each other. After Jesus had identified Judas Iscariot as the one who would betray him, and Simon Peter as the one who would deny him, he led the disciples across the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane. In the garden, Jesus prayed while the disciples slept. Then Judas Iscariot led the Roman soldiers to the garden to arrest Jesus. Jesus was first taken to Annas, the former high priest and father-in-law of Caiaphas, the current high priest. From there, he was taken to Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. After an all-night session, the Sanhedrin decided to accuse Jesus of treason before Pontius Pilate. So Jesus was taken to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, I am not an earthly king. If I were, my followers would have fought when I was arrested by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate replied, You are a king then? You say that I am a king and you are right, Jesus said. Then Pilate went out again to the people and told them, He is not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release someone from prison each year at Passover. So if you want me to, I'll release the king of the Jews. But they shouted back, No, not this man, but Barabbas. Barabbas was a well-known criminal. But if I release Barabbas, Pilate asked them, what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And they all shouted, Crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this man. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to crucify him. The next event was truly remarkable. Though Jesus had been born to be king and had been anointed by the Holy Spirit following his baptism, he had never been officially crowned. After the soldiers beat Jesus, they coronated him using all the major features of the coronation of a Caesar. In the Roman Empire, the soldiers frequently chose the next Caesar. Here the soldiers set a crown of thorns on Jesus' head and put a royal purple robe on him. At this time, becoming Caesar was known as donning the purple. They placed a stick in his right hand as a scepter and knelt before him in mockery, yelling, Hail, King of the Jews! Then Pilate went outside again and said to the people, 
I am going to bring him out to you now, but understand that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priest and temple guards began shouting, Crucify, crucify. So they took Jesus and led him away. On Skull Hill, in Hebrew, Golgotha, they crucified him between two thieves. Pilate had a sign placed over him that said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. At three in the afternoon, an earthquake shook Jerusalem as he died, just as the Passover lambs were being slain all over Jerusalem. Now, I do want to pause a moment here to tell you some things that you might see or hear around this time of year and that you may have wondered about. One event might be the Maundy Thursday service at some churches. The word Maundy comes from the Latin for command, mandatum. It refers to the new command given by Jesus at the Last Supper, that the disciples should love one another. This service is always the Thursday before Easter. It commemorates the very first communion that Jesus shared with his disciples, known to us as the Last Supper. Communion is sometimes referred to as the Eucharist. Also, during this time of year, you perhaps have seen a cross in the front yards of some churches. The cross usually goes up around the beginning of Lent, which occurs about six weeks prior to Easter. If you have seen a purple cloth draped on a cross during the Lenten season, the purple represents Lent, pain, and suffering. After Maundy Thursday, the cross is draped in black, which signifies death and mourning. So on Good Friday, there is a black cloth. And to quote Randy Alcorn, what is good about Good Friday? Why isn't it called Bad Friday? Because out of the appallingly bad came what was inexpressibly good. And the good trumps the bad, because though the bad was temporary, the good is eternal. Sometimes there will even be a crown of thorns on the cross, which is like the one the soldiers put on Jesus' head. On Easter morning, the cloth will be white, symbolizing purity, holiness, and resurrection. Now, going back to the Rustin's book, this is from the day after the crucifixion on April 4th, A.D. 33. This was the Sabbath for them. And although Jesus rested in death on the Sabbath, his enemies did not. The chief priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate on that Sabbath day. They told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will be raised from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he came back to life. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, Take guards and secure it the best you can. Pilate answered cynically, remembering their fear of Jesus when he was alive and recognizing their fear even after his death. So they sealed the tomb with official seals that, if broken, would attest that the tomb had been violated. Roman soldiers were then posted to guard it. Early the next morning, there was an earthquake when an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone sealing the tomb. As he sat on the stone, the face of the angel shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. When the guards saw him, they were terrified and fell in a dead faint. How ironic that those assigned to guard a dead man themselves appeared dead, and the one who was dead was made alive. 
Once they were conscious again, some of the guards went immediately to the chief priests to report what had happened. The religious leaders met and decided to bribe the soldiers not to tell what had occurred. Once again, the Jewish leaders were not concerned with the truth, but with expediency and self-protection. They told the soldiers, You must say that Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. The story they made up shows how desperate they were. They proposed the very scenario against which they were trying to protect themselves. Yet their story was not plausible. If the guards were indeed asleep, they would not have seen the disciples. On the other hand, if one of them had awakened and seen the crime being committed, he would have awakened the other guards and they would have arrested the body snatchers. The Jewish leaders must have offered the guards a very high bribe to say they were asleep because the penalty for falling asleep on watch was death. That is why they promised, if the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you and everything will be all right. The soldiers accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. What a day it had been for those soldiers. They had seen an angel roll a stone away from the tomb. They had seen that the tomb was empty. And then instead of being sent to Pilate for punishment, they walked back to their barracks with their pockets full of money. The deception was effective. More than 100 years later, Justin Martyr reported that the Jewish people were still saying that Jesus' disciples had stole the body. Early on Sunday morning, April 5th, A.D. 33, Mary Magdalene and several other women went to Jesus' tomb. To their great surprise, they found that the stone covering the entrance had been rolled to the side. They entered the tomb, but there was no body, only the linen wrappings with the cloth that had covered Jesus' head folded up and lying to the side. They could not fathom what had happened to Jesus' body. Then suddenly, two angels appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed down before them. The angels asked, Why are you looking in a tomb for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Don't you remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again the third day? Then they remembered that he had said this, so they rushed back to tell his disciples what had happened. But their story sounded so preposterous, the disciples didn't believe it. However, Peter and John ran to the tomb to see for themselves. They saw the empty linen grave clothes and went back, wondering what had happened. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles out of Jerusalem. Suddenly, Jesus himself came along and joined them. But they didn't realize who he was because God kept them from recognizing him. They told him how Jesus' body was missing from his tomb. Then Jesus said to them, You are such foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his time of glory? Then Jesus quoted passages from Moses and all the prophets, explaining what all the scriptures said about himself. Then suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. And at that moment, he disappeared. Within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem, where the eleven disciples and the other followers of Jesus were gathered. When they arrived, they were greeted with the report, The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story. As they spoke, Jesus was suddenly standing there among them. He said, Peace be with you. But the whole group was terribly frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened? he asked. 
Why do you doubt who I am? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he held out his hands for them to see, and he showed them his feet. Then he said, When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me by Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must all come true. Then he opened their minds to understand these many scriptures, and he said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah must suffer and die and rise again from the dead on the third day. With my authority, take this message of repentance to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sin for all who turn to me. You are witnesses of all these things. And in the reflection here in the Rustin's book, it asks, Do you believe that Jesus rode from the dead? If you don't, how do you explain the growth of Christianity, stemming from the disciples' claim they had seen the risen Christ and their willingness to die for their convictions? Billy Graham has said, quote, The cross tells us that God understands our sin and our suffering, for he took them upon himself in the person of Jesus Christ. From the cross, God declares, I love you. I know the heartaches and the sorrows and the pain that you feel, but I love you. The story does not end with the cross, for Easter points us beyond the tragedy of the cross to the empty tomb. It tells us that there is hope for eternal life, for Christ has conquered evil and death and hell. Yes, there is hope. The eyewitnesses are important, but there is another validation of the resurrection that shouts, He is risen. It is the changed lives of believers then and now. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, only one disciple was present, and that one was John. And he was also the only disciple that died of natural causes. The other ten were in hiding in fear that they would be the next ones arrested and killed. But let me tell you how those disciples eventually died. Andrew was crucified. James was beheaded by Herod. Philip was beaten and crucified. Matthew and Thomas were speared to death. Thaddeus, Nathaniel, and Simon the Zealot were crucified. James, the son of Alphas, was beaten, stoned, and hit with a club. And Peter was crucified upside down because he did not feel he was worthy to die like Jesus did. Why were these men willing to be so identified with Jesus Christ that they were murdered in terrible ways when they had been so scared while Jesus was being crucified that they had locked themselves away in an undisclosed place? There was only one reason for the courage and boldness they later demonstrated, and that one reason was because they had seen the risen Christ. They had experienced the resurrection life of Jesus. Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, and buried, but after his resurrection and his appearance to the disciples, they were forever changed. Jesus' last command to them was to go and make disciples in all nations and teach them to obey all I have told you and that he would always be with them. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do, and it cost them their lives. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence in your life for you to be convicted? Has your life changed as a result of your being touched by the resurrected Jesus? Eyewitness accounts are important. But it is through the changed lives of believers then and now that many will be influenced to turn to Jesus. Your family, neighbors, co-workers, and friends aren't nearly as interested in how many times you go to church or how often you read the Bible and pray as they are looking to see how much you look like Jesus.
The good news of Jesus Christ in Easter is the foundation of our faith and our hope for today. I want to read you the April 13th writing of Max Lucado in his devotional book, Grace for the Moment. For any follower of Christ, the promise is simply this. The resurrection of Jesus is proof and preview of our own. But can we trust the promise? Is the resurrection a reality? Are the claims of the empty tomb true? This is not only a good question, it is the question. For as Paul wrote, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith has nothing to it. You are still guilty of your sins. In other words, if Christ has been raised, then his followers will join him. But if not, then his followers are fools. The resurrection, then, is the keystone in the arch of the Christian faith. And from 1 Thessalonians 4.14, Since Jesus died and broke loose from the grave, God will most certainly bring back to life those who die in Jesus. And so, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, the resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. All who trust in Him as their Savior and King receive forgiveness of sin and eternal life. But what about you? Have you trusted Jesus? Do you believe in Easter? In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul states, Christ had no sin, but God made Him become sin, so that in Christ we could become right with God. So regardless of what mistakes and sins you have committed in your life, they are not too bad for the blood of Jesus to cleanse you and make you acceptable in God's sight. None of us is good enough to go to heaven except by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Easter is coming. Where will you spend eternity? The choice is yours. I pray to God that you will choose wisely and believe in the eternal Son of God who came and died for your sins and mine that we might have life everlasting. Easter is coming. Are you ready? In closing today, I would like to leave you with these two verses. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. From 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it is His abundant mercy that has given us the privilege of being born again, so that we are now members of God's own family. Now we live in the hope of eternal life because Christ rose from the dead. Happy Easter. Thank you for listening. Appearing will come out.
for today brought to you each Sunday morning by Carol Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy where outstanding customer service is our goal. 